Be Frank Network. Welcome back to Friends Like Us. Marina Franklin here, your host. This week on Friends, we have all men. Well, I'm there, so not all, but I know it's a heavy flow. Sorry. It's part of what 2020 is all about, so, you know. Roy Wood Jr. is back, correspondent on Comedy Central's Daily Show with Trevor Noah. He's also the host of Comedy Central storytelling series, This Is Not Happening. And he has two Comedy Central stand-up specials, Father Figure and Roy Wood Jr., No One Loves You. Wood can also be seen in a recurring role on the current season of the new Netflix comedy Space Force, as well as Better Call Saul and The Last OG. Variety Magazine named him one of 10 comics to watch, and we agree. So you know what to do in your quarantine. Watch Roy Wood Jr. James Altucher is back. James Altucher, entrepreneur, angel investor. He's achieved the rank of chess master and is the author of the Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Choose Yourself. He started 20 companies, 17 of which have failed, but he learned a lot along the way. If you've ever been stuck in a job you hate, in a house you can't afford, in a life you don't want, in your own depressed mind, anything, he wants to help. Why? Because he's been there. And a little unknown fact, he's helped friends like us. Yeah, he's a friends like us angel. He kept us on the map. Thank you, James. And returning after appearing on one of our most controversial episodes about reparation, John Laster. John is a veteran New York City-based comedian, originally from Denver, Colorado. John taped three seasons of BET's Comic View and hosted the first and second underground comedy festival here in New York City. And when things get back to normal, you can see him regularly at the Comedy Cellar. We are now a part of the Be Frank Network. You like that incredible new sound? You do? Well, to be frank, that's the Be Frank Network. I want to thank all of our listeners of Friends Like Us. Because of you, we make some pretty impressive lists. Like Oprah Magazine, rating us as a podcast that every woman should hear. We think everyone, of course. You can hear us on Google Podcasts Now, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. Rate us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. You can email us at friendslikeuspodcast at gmail. Our Instagram is friendslikeuspodcast, and our Twitter is friendslikeus10. Leave us a tip or a donation. Just go to our Patreon page. Go to Patreon backslash Friends Like Us. And now we have Friends Like Us merch. We have t-shirts, face masks, coffee cups, and hoodies. Yeah, get your Friends Like Us hoodie. We only have a limited supply, so get yours now. And with Friends Like Us, it'll help you feel not so alone because more content is on the way. Most important, tell someone you know to check us out. Wash those dirty little hands, wear your mask, and have a very safe holiday. And welcome to Friends Like Us. Today, I have a really a good group of men. It's definitely a heavy flow. Because <laughs> we usually have a guy once a month, but, you know, it's a pandemic and things happen. You schedule things the way, and then it just works out the way it works out. But I have to say, we'll get feedback from the women, I'm by, sure. By the way, Marina... Is when the pandemic's over, it's going to suck because we're no longer going to be able to say, well, you know, it's a pandemic, so 
X is worse than it before. Like and now, it's such a great excuse. I can't make it today. It's a pandemic. I know. What are we gonna do after the pandemic's over? I'm gonna just tell people I ain't got vaccinated yet. <laughs> <laughs> but, but wait, but that's, that's but that's gonna be if you're not vaccinated, you're a racist. They're gonna figure that out too. And then you're yeah. gonna say, and you're gonna say, but I'm black. Doesn't matter. You're still racist. That's right. It's just gonna come across as. I don't trust that science shit, no matter what. <laughs> oh, my God. I put the one. Oh, I should introduce you all. But I figured I'd do it a little more creative today. Alexa, who is James Altucher? According to Wikipedia, James Altucher is an American hedge fund manager, author, podcaster, and entrepreneur who has founded or co-founded over 20 companies. He has published 20 books, and he is a contributor to publications, including the Financial Times, the Wall Street Journal, TechCrunch, and the Huffington Post. Altucher graduated from Cornell University. Alexa doesn't like my comedy, so she didn't say I was a comedian. We get it, Alexa. He's done a lot. <laughs> no, but she didn't say I was a comedian. and uh, uh, she doesn't, she doesn't like, She's gone on only five of my shows. She doesn't like my comedy. <laughs> Breaking up with her. Uh, Alexa, who is Roy Wood Jr.? According to Wikipedia... Roy Wood Jr. is an American comedian, DJ, actor, oh, producer, DJ. He has served as a correspondent for The Daily Show on Comedy Central since 2015. Fucking Alexa. Alexa, stop. Wait, what's up with the DJ? I mean, I did radio for like 15 years, but that was like concurrent with comedy. I haven't been in radio since 2017. How am I still a DJ? You know, she, <laughs> you know, she just came back. She came back on me. <laughs> She's like, bitch, I said. <laughs> I said what I, I said. It. It's a confirmed <laughs> thing. There's verification. I was once a paid radio DJ, but do other shit, Alexa. Maybe I could make a hedge fund. Like with that DJ shit moved off of my resume. Right. Alexa didn't didn't say anything about your charismatic crankiness <laughs> on, your, on your website. Oh, yes. Alexa, who is John Laster? Comedian. College basketball player, Colorado State. Really? That's it? <laughs> <laughs> I need to get my career together. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah. I didn't know you hoop D1, dog. Oh, yeah, man. That was that's ages ago. Minnesota, University of Minnesota and Colorado State. They didn't have Minnesota on there. That's crazy. Amazing, dude. I got the bad toes to show it, baby. Oh, yeah. Basketball feet. Oh, oh like, yeah. I used to. I, basketball feet. And football O-lineman feet. I used to uh, jump over people. I got bad toes to show it. Can you still dunk now at this age and weight? You know what? I would have to warm up for like an hour. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I would have to like get in the gym and stretch and run. And it would probably take me an hour. But I could probably hit an alley-oop dunk now, yeah. What's an alley-oop dunk? Where you throw it up, the ball bounces up near the rim, you catch it and bang it. Ah. I could probably pull that off still. The two women on the podcast didn't, didn't understand that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, an alley oop is where you just guide the ball. It was already headed. It in. was headed. In. Just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just kind of came behind it. It's like a, a dunk assist. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I guess this is a perfect place to say Roy. When I asked Roy to do this show, and I told him James that you were on it, he was like, "I love his podcast." So Roy, you could say what you were about to say before. So, Neil Brennan, I don't remember who the guest was. And I, that's, I try to remember that because journalistically, that's the right thing to do. 
But that podcast you had breaking down the fucking ripple effects of COVID as it rolls into 2021 was some of the realest, most amazing. It was like horrific, but also so fucking fascinatingly true. Because like you know, you have a thread of an idea of how you think things are going to go. And then you hear two people just break it down and just quantify, well, this will lead to this and it'll probably create this and this. And that's why you should be scared as fuck. Thanks for downloading the podcast. And I was like, that was that was good. So yeah, much respect to you and what you oh, do. Thank you that. so much. I appreciate that. And that's no disrespect to you, Marina. It's just every now and then I like to sneak and listen to a podcast oh, no. that I was horrifies on, me. I was on James's show early on, right? Yeah, yeah. She was my first guest in person, actually. Marina, you were my first guest in person. Normally I do, you know, I was doing it through Skype back then. James is the reason my podcast is still going. A lot of the listeners may not know this and you guys probably don't know, but when we left CBS at play.it, they decided to do, they were like trying to do podcasts and then they decided, I guess not to. And I, I actually called James or I wrote him for advice, which is, you know, something James would advise people to do to write people they know smart advice. Yes. And I was like, what do I do? And James was like, I believe in what you do. I'll help you to keep going. And so thank you. You're you're very welcome. It's uh, thank you. I've been uh, an avid listener. White man behind the woman of color podcast is how it, it seems to always go down. Those, those <laughs> Jews running Hollywood again. <laughs> Podcast Hollywood. So, so James, how since you've written your article about how New York was never going to make a comeback, how have you been doing? Are you okay? Have they tried to cancel you? Yeah, like- well, definitely New York City tried to cancel me. Like I got, I've never gotten so much hate. I've been writing for twenty years, and I've been writing somewhat controversial stuff on and off during those years. I have never gotten so much hate as I got for this article. And it was all people in New York City. And by the way, I'm in New York City. I'm a New Yorker, which I say in the article. And somehow everybody just went insane. Even people, like every ex-girlfriend wrote an article bashing me. Family members wrote articles bashing me. I got probably uh, 10 hate tweets a second for the first week. And then Seinfeld wrote his article (laughs) trashing me. And now if you want to see his article, it's the size of a building on 80th and Madison. (laughs) They they printed it up to be poster size, the billboard size, the size of a building. And it's on a construction site, the entire building, his article trashing me. And his article just won an award for like best article. (laughs) (laughs) So it just never stops. It's four months later now. And, and by the way, the news is worse about New York City. I don't even, I don't even have to describe it anymore. Every day there's articles uh, saying why New York City's dead, not by me. And I don't want New York City to die, which I kept saying in the article that everyone like shot the messenger, which is why I guess that, that's a cliche. Yeah, I. Um... And, and, and by the way, I will say it did affect me personally. Like anyone who says, "Oh, I don't care what people think," is lying, because I did care what people thought, and it was, uh, it was, it was painful to see who was trashing me. What was the most hurtful one? My older sister wrote an article, not only trashing me, but like it was the strangest. She didn't address anything I said. And it was just like the strangest lies she was saying about me. Like I'm a Democrat all my life. And she said when I was a kid, I was into Reaganomics. 
I was 12 years old. <laughs> I didn't even know who Reagan was. And I, and like stuff like that she was saying in the article and and like I didn't understand what she was doing. So well, she probably got some followers from it. Maybe that's what she was doing. She kept trying to like tag Cuomo and de Blasio yeah. and Jerry Seinfeld and they were never res- no one was responding well, to her. She was trying to coattail. Yeah. Yeah, she was trying mm-hmm. to coattail and yeah. it was it was a su- little surprising. I I was more disappointed in all the people who I saw who liked her article, like ex-employees of mine from 20 years ago, ex-girlfriends from two years ago. Uh, It was just, it was very painful. Yeah, I think that realization, was that more of it? The fact that you found out all these people that you thought had love for you didn't have love for you? Yeah, or just that they would be so cruel and that they would lie. And they knew they were lying too. Uh, And so that surprised me. Like it was kind of a... And I've seen that before to some extent, but it was surprising to see the sheer amount of it. Like people were saying, also, like people were saying, I was I was from like Iowa. I've born and lived around New York City all my life, and then people were saying, oh, like Jerry Seinfeld was saying, I didn't have grit, and he was writing from his you know hundred bedroom mansion in the Hamptons with the 150 Porsches in his garage <laughs> that I didn't have grit. And I was in New York City, the entire pandemic, lockdown, everything. That was so, the conversation that was going on amongst the comics was look at the two rich guys fighting. Yeah, well, and well, even the art, you know, you, you, I don't know if we could mention, you sent around an article from the Atlantic, the person who wrote that article, her, her mom's like worth a hundred million dollars. Like, and she was saying all the rich people are going to leave. Like, first off, I'm not, New York City, like Jerry Seinfeld's worth a billion dollars. Let's there's rich and there's well off. There's he's you know above and beyond. Okay, I'm like an, I'm a New Yorker. I've been dirt broke in New York. I've been came here with zero in my pocket. I lost a home here during the financial crisis. I've gotten divorced and everything because I went broke again and again. Like I'm I'm famous for going broke, not for making money. So <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be broke again, guaranteed. So I'm not uh, sweating it. He's the other rich. <laughs> well, let me ask the other guys, like when the article came out, did you read it and how did it affect you? Did you feel like you wanted to go at James or did you agree? You have to ask John. I'm not as native to the city. It didn't affect me as much. I just saw. I'm I'm originally from Denver, so you know what I'm saying. It didn't, you know, like and and to be honest with you, I think that when you're in the in the moment of anything that is uh is terribly bad, I can understand. I mean, James is saying that it, things got worse, right? But if if you're in the moment, a really dark cloud came over New York City. Do you know what I'm saying? And 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 to your point, James, a lot a lot of white people did run for cover. I mean, my white friend was gone. It got dark. I, it was I, I'm not running though. I'm I'm in New York City. No, no, no. I'm I'm just saying that it seemed like you know what I mean. Like at the moment when we were in the in the eye of that storm, it, it did feel like, hey, this is getting really, really bad. I don't know. I'm I'm always somebody who I, I try not to be as much in the moment, but I don't think that I don't think that you just made up stuff, James. Do you know what I mean? I don't think that it was just completely fabricated. She had whole ass research in the article. Like I remember reading it and going, okay, this is interesting because I am like a lot of people that live in New York. I'm here for my job and my job is now remote. Do I need to be here? All right. Well, I try to read as much as I can about which way 2021 is going to shape up. And I just saw James's article. It's just, you know, some level of analysis of that. Everyone who came back and clapped back against him, Seinfeld included, they weren't really laying out 
well, here's why these data points aren't correct. And this is why in 2021, this industry will be just this fucking go get them. New York, we're tough and we'll fucking make it through. For me, motherfucker, not from New York. That's not enough for me to stay in New York. So I just didn't look at it as some sort of just splattershot opinion, but I also wasn't riled up. I didn't think this this dumb motherfucker don't know what he talking about. I didn't either. Yeah, it did. It did, didn't make me in any way feel angry or vengeful. You know what I'm saying? Like I didn't. I but I but I also know, you know, I've been in the barbershop and been like, "Yo, man, the Knicks is whack," and I know what the response is. <laughs> so, so once you throw that out there, you know, New Yorkers is like, "Man, I will knock your whole skull off for saying that," even though probably deep down inside they know the Knicks is pretty whack. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But when you say it, they go into a defensive crouch. And that's more what I felt. I felt like there was more of a, a knee-jerk reaction to fire back than to actually break down what you were saying. I, the I, issue also with that article, James, is that you attacked people's hope. Yeah. And for a lot of people, that's all they have left. And so that's where I think that ignited the fire for other people to just bandwagon and talk shit about you. Because people disagreeing with you, I'm not going to tell you how to carry this shit, but if people just disagreeing with you, that's one thing. That's all in the game. You know, we peddle in opinions. And so people are paid to have opinions about your opinion now just for the sake of fucking clickbait. You know, when we deal with that, that's always going to be a risk. But the family members and exes coming out and lying on you, that's some next level. I ain't never had no shit like that. Well, before. you know what, though? I've seen, though, I mean, you know, I was I was a ball player. So I know that, like, when you put a microphone in somebody's face when somebody is down, a lot of people are going to kick. You know what I mean? So they see somebody down and somebody says, hey, what do you think? They're just going to pile on immediately with what with whatever they can. It might have nothing to do with the article. Like, I don't like the way he cut his hair. What does that have to do with what we talk about? <laughs> it has nothing to do with what he wrote. I, I know from experience that, um, yeah, when, when you down, people going to kick. So I think I there's a think lot of that. I, I think we're also dealing with the emotional and mental state, like Roy was saying, like people's needed hope. That's all they had. And so the reactions have been multiplied by all of that. Like I just posted on my Instagram the one article about the erectile dysfunction with a, even a mild case of COVID. And this girl <laughs> I had to block her. I was like, oh, my God. I was like, I was it's obviously funny. Right. I'm just being funny, but it's it's a true we're, story. We're not we're not laughing about this one, but go ahead. I started looking around for my mask. I was like, oh, <laughs> that's why that's why. Because, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm one of those like OCD ish people during this time, which I don't think anyone should yell at an OCD person during a pandemic. But. I've been getting a lot of eye rolls. People think I'm a hypochondriac. People want me to shut up. This article does say it's been years since COVID-19 was first detected a year, and we're still learning a lot about how it works. There remains many unknowns about the virus that's still mutating, but some scientists think it may cause erectile dysfunction. I'm still laughing about it. This comes from an interview with infectious disease expert, Dr. Dana Grayson. So, you know, you could cancel her. There is some real concern here that men could have long time issues of erectile dysfunction because we know that it causes issues in the vasculature. 
area. <laughs> and that's scary news. But there is one silver lining. Any male reluctant to wear a mask may finally change his mind after learning that not putting one on may lead to permanent shrinkage. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So I think I, I, I think it was all yeah. in the delivery there. I think I laughed at your delivery. <laughs> well, I shrinkage. posted it and this Trumper just came at me. She was like, this is fake news. I've been fucking all this time. I mean, she wrote that on my page. She's like, I've been fucking hard. And I was like, you, someone should, someone should report this. <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, the reactions are, are that intense because people are so isolated or feeling that trappedness that I do agree that every reaction that would have been let's say on a scale of zero to ten previously you would have reacted like a two or a three now with the pandemic and the lockdown and the uncertainty and the stress that two or three now goes to an eight or nine like people are going insane over every opinion and I think that is part of the problem like Roy you mentioned like I didn't really give that much hope in the article is because I was looking for solutions, but I did feel bad afterwards. I just wanted to say, I, I did feel bad afterwards when I realized from the reaction, you know, how I maybe should have lightened it a little bit because some people are in situations where they really can't, you know, do anything about it. But you can't hope away shit. I'm like, I'm on some, we got to face the realism of what the hell is going on. And I, I don't think it's your fault if those people can't sit and, all right, well, how do we get out of this? All this just sit and happy-go-lucky. We got a fighting spirit and let's win one for the Gipper. Fuck that. What? How do I figure this shit out? <laughs> you sound I mean, like a Knicks fan. <laughs> <laughs> After all the reaction, I actually called, I actually called many people in government to try to figure out solutions. I called several mayoral candidates. I called congressmen in the area. I called the Federal Reserve. I called a guy at the White House. I called um, uh, congressmen. I don't know if I mentioned. So, so I talked to a lot of people about the specific problems I mentioned. And this is a difficult problem. I, I, I think that's still going to, and, and, you know, the problem, like I mentioned, has gotten a little bit worse since, since August. And so we're, it's going to be an interesting 2021, I, I hope. Uh, I did ask my assistant and my intern to find articles saying something different about the circumstances going forward. They were like, we can't find anything. <laughs> they it's, a, it's, it's unbelievable. I would talk to people running for mayor. Like if I would say, if you were mayor right now, what would you do? Nobody had a solution. And then I talked to a guy at the Federal Reserve. I said, look, you guys are printing up money left and right. Why don't you just print up uh, the money New York City needs to pay its employees, by the way, pay trash collectors, <laughs> teachers, fireworkers, EMTs, the front line that are being fired right now. And they're like, no, we can't do that. Otherwise, we got to also bail out Tulsa, Oklahoma and every other city. And I'm like, New York City is not Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's the, it's the flagship city of the country. And they're like, we just can't. We can't do it. I called people very high up in you know, the executive branch and I said, why don't you give a UBI, a universal basic income, to people who need it? Like, don't give money to companies anymore. Just give money straight to people because they'll spend it and they'll spend it locally and that'll boost local economies. And they're like, no, no, then they won't have incentive to work. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You think someone's going to retire on $1,800? <laughs> like, <laughs> just give people money. You, you have to pay them to stay home. You can't just leave people locked in their houses. Everybody's so in their own agenda right now. I would also say like the story that we have that's been happening, I think it's in Staten Island, 
with the bar that keeps closing and then define the order and the, yeah and then they the guy tried to drive over the sheriff he was like we're we're trying to reopen and if we may have to take matters into our own hands like they're they're protesting like it's crazy it's insane and but they have a point like they're like no one's giving them an answer yeah you know what though it's it's what's sad but true is that's also happening because before it was like a you know kind of like the liberate michigan so you had a bunch of yahoos running around with guns saying no we want our businesses open but now there's there's people that that spectrum is sliding left now do you know what I mean? It's not just the anti-vaxxers like that Trump crowd that's saying, hey, we want our businesses open. I'm originally from Denver. So my, you know, my brother is saying that, you know, and Denver's just about as liberal as it gets out here. And even people in Denver are starting to do some kicking and screaming. And then the mayor there was telling them, hey, don't be around your family for the holidays. And then this nigga go get on a plane to see his family in the South. During the holiday, yeah, Thanksgiving, they catch him at the airport. Getting on the <laughs> wait, wait, wait. catch him at the airport, getting on a plane, like oh, this, and then and then hit him with some bullshit talking about. I guess I was thinking with my heart instead of my head. If you don't get your black ass off that plane, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm saying that this isn't just a, a Trumpy like, hey, liberate Michigan thing. This thing is now people. A lot of people are feeling the pain and like, yo. You guys aren't giving us money in our checks like we were getting before. What do you expect people to do? Do you know what I mean? Like people's hands are really tied right now. We're, we're, you know, all of us on here are pretty fortunate. You know, we have ways to hustle money. My money's been dwindling, but I, I started doing some Zoom shows where I'm charging people so now I can pay my bills. But people out here are, are really hurting. Like it's not, it's not, this is no longer a right or a left thing. Like, you know, people are, are, are down to, the, there's long food lines. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You can't take $2,400 a month out of people's check and expect them, oh, you know, and then say, hey, you know, figure it out. Like, figure what out? Do you know what I mean? Like, where am I going to go work? Where am I going to go magically get this food? Do you know what I mean? Everybody can't go back to their mom's house in Rhode Island or wherever the fuck a lot of my friends went to. It doesn't work like that. Like, people are really suffering right now. Well, it's interesting, too, because it's like you were saying, it's not a, a right or a left thing. The Upper West Side which tends to be left, but everybody is sort of like a lawyer or a doctor or a banker. They're like, because they have means and they have money and they have savings, they're not here. They're in the Hamptons or wherever. And they're saying like, everybody needs to mask up. And, and, and I agree with that, but avoid other people. Don't go to work. I, somehow there's a disconnect between reality and these people's experience is different from the average reality for people. Like people need to have money. They need to work. We need to figure out a solution for all of this. Meanwhile, you know, Congress is debating trillions of dollars of stimulus and not doing it. It's like kind of ridiculous what's happening that they expect everybody to just, I don't know, expect everybody to not eat and just watch the crown and be happy about it. And then meanwhile, at, at 7 PM every day during the lockdowns, Everyone was like going to the windows and clapping. That was like their 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 duty. They, that was their service to their, their their city. And there was essential workers, you know, riddled with coronavirus, delivering sushi to them so they could watch Tiger King all night. But I also think in the long term, that was a big part of the problem in the long term. I, I get it when it first happened. You're, you're outside and you're clapping, right? But the whole mask thing, because in my opinion, the Democrats are the most incompetent human beings ever in messaging, made masks a moral argument 
versus an economic argument. If you make the argument that masking up is going to save small businesses versus it's the right thing to do, because then that's where the rift started. Some people are like, oh, come on, we're trying to keep our business open. If you said those of you who aren't wearing masks are killing the economy, that's an argument both the right and the left can get with. But when you say it's a moral argument, well, which side of that are you on? You ain't my boss. Yes. Yes. Then you can push back. But if you say, no, you're killing the businesses in your community by not wearing a mask. Everybody can get on board with that. But I think that they failed to make that argument that you are the ones. If you are not wearing a mask, you are killing the mom and pop shops in your community. Doesn't that seem like common sense? No, not if you don't not if you don't message it correctly. Yeah, no, I don't think there's such a thing as common sense. Like That's what I'm seen, realizing. We've seen every opinion across the board, from that woman on your Instagram to, you know. <laughs> I've been fucking yeah. hard. We've <laughs> been fucking hard. Common <laughs> sense is, is a lot of that's rooted in where do you get your common knowledge? Well, I think a lot of common sense is rooted in where you get your common money. So that's people are speaking, like John's saying, people are speaking in their pocketbook in a lot of cases. Except that woman. <laughs> what about your comedy club, James? Stand Up New York, how are they doing? Well, like- you know, Stand Up New York was was creative, and I and I give a lot of credit to to Donnie Zolden, who's who's really running things there right now. They did a lot of park shows, so they were doing fifty shows a week in the parks and getting donations to pay things. Now they're doing uh, comedy shows in churches. I saw that yeah. getting donations, getting religious donations, of course. And, you know, and the, and the PPP loans helped a lot of these comedy clubs survive. So, you know, not just Stand Up New York, but the, the Cellar, the Stand, other clubs. But what we're going to see right now is 90% of restaurants are in danger of closing by January 1st in New York City. This is, this is not me saying this. This is like the New York's Restaurant Association. Like 90%? 90% because of when we all knew this, we've known this since July, that if indoor dining was not happening... For better or for worse, in, in the winter months, the restaurants would not open in, on January 1st. Wow. I hope it's the one that is underneath my window. I hope they don't open. <laughs> you know the Chinese restaurant, uh, the Chinese Cuban place across from uh, uh, Stand Up New York? I'm praying for them to close. You, you know the Chinese Cuban place uh, across from Stand Up New York? It's like yeah. kind of a staple. That's, you know, store for lease. You know, all these places that are kind of staples of the city are, are bankrupt and, and gone now. There's no amount of delivery service that could help? No. No, I, I spoke to a lot of restaurant owners, you know, it would maybe be, it was just to keep the brand alive, but everybody lost money on on delivery. You know, I think part of the problem is like when you've been in the house for so long, eventually you start cooking some stuff. I haven't cooked anything, all joking aside, and I know it's going to sound like I'm being hyperbolic, probably in around 13 or 14 years. And I started cooking a little bit. I'm not even sure. I literally run out of places to order. Yes. I want to see that first day where you started cooking. Well, you know what? It starts really small. So you wouldn't have been impressed with the burgers that I threw on the joint. But it was so bad that I'm not even joking. The last apartment I was in, they sent this notice and it said, hey, sorry to inform you, your gas was off. I had been living there five years. I didn't even know the gas was off. That's how often I cooked. There was boxes on our stove. I'm not even joking. When I say I don't cook, like, it's not like, oh, I don't really know how to make macaroni and cheese. Like, no. You never turned it on. There's pans in my stove right now. So I I haven't made it to the stove yet. 
but I did cook some burgers. So and I mean, but every got an efficiency kitchen, like an extended stay. Yes, exactly, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I'm saying, but eat, but but if, if but if a guy like me is cooking, do you know what I mean? And every time I I go to cook, there's a restaurant that's like, God damn it, we're not gonna be here in January. Hmm. Well, I do want to ask this question. This is a different switching gears just a little bit. But okay, yes, we all have erectile dysfunction. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Oh, I've been fucking. I've been hard I'm fucking. Working on it. <laughs> that's, that's why I actually put this in. It's just because I knew who I was going to have on the show. I've actually been fucking the chick that was hitting Marina up. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Speak for yourself, James. I was fucking the girl. I told my girl, yo, hit Marina because she tripping right now. I had to block her. I was like, what is all this rage? Let her about? know I've been my fucking you with, this, with this COVID. I hit. mean, you could put up something so simple on your social media and they'll just get like, I think I dance every Friday and there was like a debate as to what I should wear when I do my dance videos. I'm like, I'm just doing this for me. I'm just doing this to feel good. And some people was like, who's the music? Did you produce that? Did you steal that? It just went crazy. But I do want to ask this. I did a show Saturday and someone had was talking about their son or their teenagers and, and they feel like the effects of this long-term, you know, we're talking about erectile dysfunction there, but the effects of this on teenagers we will have yet to be seen like in two years from now. Like I find talking to my nieces, they're extremely angry with the older generation. And I'm worried about that. Like they seem to be like they've given up on us. I mean, they were start, they were there before, but now it's like, there's an anger there that I'm concerned about. Like, I don't know if they'll take care of us in our old age is what I'm saying. No, hell no. Have you given, so uh, that's why I put this kid of the year in here at just 15 years old. Oh, I cannot pronounce that name. Gitanjali Rayo has been selected, sorry, from a field of more than 5,000 nominees as time's first ever kid of the year. And it is the reason why, you know, she spoke about her astonishing work using technology to tackle issues ranging from contaminated drinking water to opiate addiction and cyberbullying, and about her mission to create a global community of young innovators to solve global problems. Yeah, there's some good ones out there. I think for every angry kid, there's some that are a lot more motivated because kids have been robbed of their youth to a degree. I mean, even if you go all the way back to midterms and pussy hats and, you know, the rise of, you know, Me Too, I think that there's just kids that are much more politically activated. You know, the the voting demographics from the election, more young people. I mean, of course, voter turnout was increased across the board, but especially in that younger demographic when we're talking, you know, 25 and under. So I think that there's angry ones, but then there's also some that are angry enough to come out there and do something about it. And I'm personally of the belief that, you know, most politicians are too old. And it's not in the sense of ageism, but in the sense of figuring out a way to include young people in the conversation. You know, when we talk about diversity and inclusion, it's traditionally race and gender. But I also think that age should be something that should start being, you know, discussed in terms of figuring out, you know, the best ideas. It's it's not, I don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of these tech companies that have the most innovation and make the most money and have, you know, a lot of the best ideas, they're very young. It's not a lot of 80-year-old run tech startups out there. I mean, it could be, I just don't know them. And if they are, I assume they're not on 
the internet. <laughs> they're 80. Yeah, they, they mail in letters. <laughs> yeah, let me let me stop before somebody did I did a joke similar to that on Twitter and said, My mom is 77 and she can fucking circles around you. And I'm like, I know, I understand. I'm sorry. But there's there the reason I say it also is because there is constantly this conversation about the great divide between millennials, older, you know, the boomers. Even I've had on my show, I've had guests, the episode that I have out right now, there's just a conversation going on between young Democrats and older Democrats and how they can't, like you were saying, John, they can't get that messaging. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. It's so sad to to, to watch them stumble over themselves. You know what I mean? And it's sad that, you know, I think one of the things that I'm good at is knowing what I don't know. And it's almost as if they don't know it. And then they look up like what happened, like, like, this is terrible. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, is it, is it wear a mask to, to save the person next to you? I don't know the person next to me. I know the bar that I go to. I don't want that <laughs> shut down. Do you know what I mean? That's a very simple, that's the, just the, the two different sentences make a world of difference. You can get everybody on board if you say, man, I don't want the bar shut down. <laughs> I don't know this nigga, but I don't want the bar shut down. Everybody love liquor. Everybody love liquor. Everybody like to go out to eat. I want to go out and chase some women. Why couldn't you message it like that? Because they don't do stand up. They don't know how to get a reaction. Because like I would say on stage, like one in nine women get breast cancer, which is an alarming number. But then they would just look at me like you could see the blankness, like whatever. And then if I said, look, I have 10 friends close with breast cancer, they go, oh, my God. Right. But you know what? We're in that that direct communication. So when I say knowing what I don't know, you would think that they would say, hey, we're not so good at this messaging thing. Why don't we hire some people in here who are closer to the front line? Who did the best messaging for the Democrats during this election? The Lincoln Project, a bunch of old white Republican men. What does that tell you about the messaging of the Democrats? Old white Republican men did your best messaging. (laughs) You need your ass beat. That's what Republicans are for better or for worse, they're going to fall behind some good messaging. And even if they don't agree with it, they're not going to say that publicly and let the Democrats know that, which is part of the rise of Trumpism, is that you just have a bunch of people in the House and the Senate who just go, yeah, that's our guy. But you know this shit is not... I mean, now, I will say this. In the the, Republicans are fortunate enough to be messaging to a more homogeneous population. They don't have a, the the size of a tenth that we do. With that being said, you still got, so just do the extra work to find out what's going to work across the board and they just won't do it. They just refuse to do it. They just keep letting Republicans beat them with this bumper sticker. Like Biden's going to shut everything down. No, he's not. He's a communist. He's these little he's one word. Yeah, he's, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. He's a socialist. Yeah, they let him, they let him get away with these bumper stickers. You got to have a return serve, man. You can't let him keep hitting you with these bullshit aces that make no sense. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you don't have nothing to swing back over than that. That has to be the first tennis analogy I've heard <laughs> in political discourse. <laughs> oh, man, it is terrible. But I do want to ask you, James, because you have kids, you have uh, teenagers at home. Like, how do you feel? Do they look they they're living pretty good with you, though. So they must not be like, you know, everybody, everybody's kind of on their on their own, though. But, you know, not going to school 
of course, is a good thing for kids. Like nobody really wants to do homework all night long. So there was a positives to lockdown. But I have, I have one kid who's uh, uh, somewhat on the spectrum and was going to a transition school. Uh, she's 20, but still uh, in a high school transition stage. And she has gotten very depressed, actually, because that was her one place where she was able to have friends. Like she's not good at meeting people and reading cues. And this was a school that in person would teach her. And now she's not been there for eight or nine months. And she's very, very depressed. And that's what we're dealing with. And other kids are, you know, trying to figure it out. You know, kids who are social will figure out how to make friends and figure out what to do with their time. But other kids need, not everybody has the same skills and, and some need, need help and will get, get depressed. And, you know, Childhood depression is a very serious thing. And I would argue, James, about your article that this would probably be the one thing that I would disagree with you on is socialization in is so important that I don't know if the bandwidth can take care of socialization. It, it can't. It can't. But it's it's happening anyway, was was my point, is that mm. it, it's it's companies don't want the liability of having people in the office building so they they don't know if they're going to get sued if someone gets coronavirus in the office and companies have also realized they're more productive and they're saving money by keeping employees if not fully remote at least partially remote so that's just the whole workforce is transforming now i mean i was reading yesterday 70 different financial companies banks investment firms whatever have already moved from new york to florida and that's you know hundreds of thousands of high tax paying employees in New York City that have have moved, and not every business could move, but that's like an ideal business where you could be remote. Publishing companies are moving, media companies are going remote, tech companies are going remote because they can, not because they care. Okay, so, I see what you're saying. So socialization will be the one thing that is like evolved out of human. Uh, <laughs> need? Yeah, or no, just people will have to figure out, like, they'll have to figure it out in other ways. Like, you know, companies can save so much on costs. And some employees, about it's about 50-50, the employees that want to be remote versus the employees that don't want to be. And they've done all sorts of research. But every company wants at least partial remote now because they save huge on costs. I think that a lot of companies are starting to also recognize which jobs require this think tanky interactiveness and they'll figure out some in-office physical distance or post-vaccine solution for them. Like I know in LA, you know, some of the TV shows, the writers' rooms are back physical now, but they're outdoors. And, you know, LA has the weather for that. It's just a different energy when you're being creative. So if it's an advertising company or something like that, you can't sit in a Zoom box into perpetuity and have the best ideas and the best you know, electricity between between people. But I just think, I personally think, and I could be wrong, but I think the concept of work being this place for socialization becomes less of a priority. And then you just have your people that you fuck with off the clock, or you have your people that, I think it drives us more towards the people that we are already familiar with. Now, you know, the teenagers and, you know, how do you make new friends? That's going to be weird. How do you date? That's another fucking weird thing. Race relationships. We already yeah. know white people need to have more black friends. And now 
they ain't gonna have any black <laughs> friends. They're gonna <laughs> look for them. I mean, that's the thing. I I guess my response is more like emotional. I just worry because I was even watching. I still watch New York One. I know people don't, but I do. But they were talking about that relationship you have in the workplace with people that you wouldn't normally have. You become almost like family with people you would never have ever been friends with or engaged with at all. Yeah, that's true. I mean, look, society is going to change. Everybody says, oh, when we get a vaccine, it'll all go back to normal. It's not going to happen because already a lot of damage has been done to society, not just the economy, but the economy and society are interwoven together. A lot of damage has been done. Also, the vaccine is not this magical thing. Like, there's gonna, It's not going to be 100% effective. Not everyone's going to take it. We already see that argument starting to, to blossom. So it's And people have already changed lifestyles. People have already moved from one city to another, not just out of New York City, but people have moved from LA to Austin. People have moved from Denver to Park City. You know, there's been lots of lots of changes have, have happened already. So it's going to be interesting what emerges when the when the dust clears. I'm not of the mind though that the that the break was long enough that you don't see almost a tsunami of people as the vaccines. I think that people are hungrier, hungry as hell to get back in the mix. I do agree that tons of damage has been done. But say, think, for example, when I was thinking about one of the things I was like, man, do I need to be here if there's no comedy? And then my rent went down. First time ever that my rent has gone down it in New went York. Down? Went down. Yeah, mine too. Yes. So, so. Mine didn't go down. <laughs> you didn't ask. No, you he, just signed another lease. He, he went up. Because they want you out. Um, he raised something. Oh, they didn't want me out. Like, you should have right. got you a better deal. They was out here sucking dick for <laughs> 10 <minutes. laughs> You could have got felt on and everything with a new landlord. Yes. So I only say that to say that I think that New York is probably more affordable for some businesses that couldn't get in here before. It's probably more affordable for some people. It's probably more affordable for some people who were thinking about leaving. I just think you put a vaccine in people's arms. I think that people are going to be shocked at the speed at which some people come back, even though there is damage and it's going to take a while. I think that we should give this time and wait until six months, nine months after the vaccine before we start assessing how vibrant can this thing be again? Even after that punch, you're going to be hard pressed to entice people to come out of their house to sit in the office. when You've already shown when I we, we know I can do this job from the crib. That's so true. You know, I can do this job from the crib and I'm going to sit my ass in Denver for half the rent of New York. Whatever New York go down, my fucking Nashville going down half of that. Right. And I'm going to have me a yard and I'm going to have me some space. I think it's going to take industry. To the exact point that you just made, I'm just saying the flip side of that coin might be somebody who was sitting there on the outside, somebody in Denver that said, I would love to go to New York to be a comedian, but the rent, when I asked, somebody told me the rent was dipped up. Well, maybe it's a little lower now. Maybe it's down at the mark where some people come into New York you know what I mean? That normally wouldn't have before. I was thinking about that with with comedy. I wrote an article for Vulture at the front of the pandemic just about how I felt like it was, you know, stand-ups needed to start preparing for the worst and figuring out the digital world and figure out ways to make money outside of road work, right? I had this paragraph in and then I took it out because I couldn't say it with confidence. But, you know, to that point, John, I do feel like if you had three, like, okay, 
you can get like a two or three Betty living somewhere in Harlem for about $2,500 right now. That's quarantine prices. So your rent somewhere in the Midwest is probably going to be 1000 to 1500 So you're really only looking at a bump of a G. If you catch two roommates, all you motherfuckers got to clear is 800 a month. You can do that with whatever odd jobs around the city. But then I, I left that out because I didn't know if there would be enough comedy clubs here for it to be worth your while in 21. There's going to be stages. And like who could have at the time when I wrote that, I couldn't have predicted the evolution of rooftop shows and motherfuckers literally standing on the sidewalk. You, you figure the part. But I just wonder, though. And I think the hard part to figure out with any of this is how will each, and not just comedy, but banking or whatever your industry is, as the migration happens back into flyover country, is that permanent or will those industries come back to the coast? Like I know San Francisco, I know James, you could probably speak to this shit, but I know Silicon Valley ain't Silicon Valley no more. Not in the sense of needing to physically be near Cupertino or wherever the fuck to yeah. do a bunch of shit. My brother so, worked for Google and he's no longer in San Francisco. He left. Yeah, Twitter's gone. Like, I mean, they're all remote. Facebook's going remote. Google's going remote. But on comedy, you know, you you mentioned um, rooftop shows. I almost wonder what is the need for comedy clubs? Like we've seen all these shows develop and, and they've been crowded. Like in Miami, there are shows every day right now, but they're in kind of alternative spaces. It's, it's now promoter-based rather than club-based. But there are like, let's say, iconic clubs that are still doing their shows, their weekend shows with the same, you know, headliner comedians, six shows in a weekend. Those are still the ones that are open have been doing consistent work like Side Splitters in Tampa, Stress Factory in New Jersey and Connecticut, House of Comedy all over the country. Clubs that are open are still and they're crowded to the extent that they're allowed to be because people want to get out and be social. It's their only opportunity. I, I did side splitters in Tampa and it was full house doing stre stress factory in Connecticut. They're not having problems, but I do think the smaller clubs are going to be all done because there's no need for them anymore. But again, does that create an opportunity for someone who wants to open a club for someone who felt like they couldn't get into that club business now who says, Oh, well the rent's lower in New York. Now it's low enough that maybe I could start my little comedy club or some of the other clubs that are in existence expand. And I understand to the point that you was making, Roy, about, oh, yeah, you know, Silicon Valley's cleared out. I'm actually creating an app right now. So I've been talking to those damn people every day about to raise money for it, for an app. I know. I told you I, I like that idea and I throw my vagina on the table for it. Yes. What's, you what's know, your idea? I actually get my, my prototype today and I'm going to start raising money later this week for it. But it's a it's an app to support black businesses. It's a location based app. Tells you where the black businesses are around you and then you can go online. But I, I get the prototype today. We start raising money sometime later this week. Just so I'm clear, I, I just fragged as a fragment since, you know, John was telling me about it like two weeks ago and he said people were just saying, I'm in, I'm in. And I was like, my vagina's in. Yeah. <laughs> let's date. Let's do this. Sounds successful. That's all yeah, New York is still going to be the best place for stand up regardless. And if the economics are low enough, it's worth it's worth the dice roll. I get I get what you're saying in that regard. It's just a matter of trying to figure out where to me it's not about 21, it's about 22. Yeah. 21 is the resettling of everything and then 22 is the new is the new way get forward. Get back in the game. That that right. could be. Like I've had a couple people say to me that 2022 is really where we have to start thinking about, but that that's very far in the future to 
to predict. But I, I like I saw at a show in in Miami a few weeks ago. Every comedian was from L.A. or New York, and they had moved back to South Florida, uh, including um, Marina. There was a, a Kyle who I had seen. Oh, Kyle Gorin. Yeah, I've seen him. I've mm-hmm. seen him in two shows now in Miami. Oh, he moved there a while ago. Yeah, he's okay. been down there a long time. Yeah. Like the other thing, I think that's also going to happen as it relates to TV production. You know, with LA going through another shutdown and the weird COVID protocols, it's harder and it's taking longer to shoot scripted stuff. Uh, stand-up comedy is going to come back on TV in the concept of the traditional showcase show, where you know three comics have half-hour show, three comics and a host. We haven't seen that on a regular basis, where it was occurring across multiple channels in over a decade. So comedy is easy to produce. It's cheap. It's quick. It's COVID safe. It's very few moving parts. And I think you're going to see more comedy come back to television. And as comedy comes back to television, the live venues benefit from that. There's, you know, there's a ripple effect from that. So I do think that we're going to see this return to stand up but like james said it's probably on some speakeasy type shit we're probably in some new era of venue i guess kind of reverting back to an old era well, look at what kev on stage is doing do you know what i mean and i just did my first zoom show thanksgiving night the next one's going to be christmas eve shameless plug i was shocked at the response people were like you have no idea how bad we needed this so it's me and one other comedian but the one christmas eve i'm going to put two three comedians on it you know what I mean? Yep. So yeah, but I mean, I was su- I was surprised. <laughs> Everybody's hand goes up. I was surprised the response though. They were beyond thrilled. And normally we think this is a whack medium. We want everybody in the club. One truth. They were like, "Dude, do this again on Christmas Eve, please." So yeah, I think that you will see more stand up coming to TV or streaming or something. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you're right because also the one thing I've noticed even in the clubs that are open is that the social distancing and the almost the architecture of the clubs are not meant for good ex- comedy experiences with social distancing and the, and no tables. You know, you, you don't have the laughter bouncing around as much, so it's it's like you have to consistently win over the crowd every joke every story because it's not there's not viral laughter going from table to table as quickly that's interesting does that change the type of jokes that comedians do like when you're in a bigger venue a big open air venue i tend to try to do bigger jokes louder jokes increase the volume at least in the front half of my set before settling into something that's more my stylistic norm just because this venue is this big it demands that you be a little more bigger Jim Gaffigan actually said that to me when, and that's kind of why I stopped doing the, the, sorry, James, the stand up New York outdoor shows only because I did them because I had to prepare for uh, this, the Colin Quinn special. But outside of that, Jim Gaffigan said, Marina, you're not the type of person to yell at an audience or go at them. So an outdoor space makes it very difficult. So I don't know how I'm personally going to, transition into that type of performer because I don't the audience has to come to me and to go at them and be loud and to have a joke that's like I mean I have to figure it out but I I don't want to I take up a lot of space so it (laughs) it works for me yeah yeah it's very difficult for me especially outdoors I just and I found like even on Colin's special I was shouting I don't shout. I was like kind of shouting. I was like, why? I have a microphone. I didn't have to. <laughs> and I, I could see that I'm like, so my name's Marina. And I was like, what? 
I don't want to sound like that. <laughs> okay, I just want to change because I know Roy has to leave soon, but this is a holiday. This episode will go out actually before the holidays, right before Christmas. It's on the 23rd, I believe, yes, which is actually my birthday as well. But I do want to ask you all what your plans are. I mean, I saw this article about, like like I was talking about how I'm very OCD um, and, you know, germaphobe, all that. And I was looking at these, uh, what do they call them? Epidemiologists? Yes. Epidemiologists. Yeah, that thing. (laughs) So those guys, (laughs) I've given up on my own show being like, I don't know. I I try to act like I know everything. And then it's like, just stop. You don't, you can't read, Marina. You haven't read out loud in a long time. And it's awful. Anyway, epidemiologists, people. They were talking about things they won't, wouldn't do. And one of them is like flying. Like they don't, they wouldn't fly until there's a vaccine. And even then they're still like, maybe not going indoors to eat. They wouldn't do. Um, the only things they've done is like get their mail, check their mail. <laughs> I mean, obviously they must have money to be that relaxed and able to make those choices. But the holiday season is coming. Do you plan to fly? Do you, what are you going to do with all of these? So my like, mother is alone in Birmingham. We lost an aunt to COVID in March. Well, we can't confirm COVID because no one was doing testing back in fucking March. But she, she's in administration at a college in Birmingham. And so, you know, she's pretty much been at the house the whole run. The tentative plan is either a 22-hour train ride in a private bedroom car or a 15 and a half hour drive. This is all coming on the other side of a COVID test, but I'm not fucking with no planes right now. I, everybody keeps saying, come on in, the water's fine. But half of the studies about the air circulation and HEPA filters that kill the germs in the air, they're, they're all funded by the airline industry. It's like the casino saying it's safe to come back to Vegas. Like it's like, like, like they said about smoking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We here at Newport. Don't you know? <laughs> James, are you going to, are you, where are you? You're in Florida still or? I'm in, I'm in New York city, but I've when been did you come on, back to New York. Uh, recently. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. And, uh, but I'll probably be going back to Miami. I'm going to Phoenix. I've been on a ton of planes this whole entire time. I've been I've been everywhere. And I think a lot of these epidemiologists, they're just like everyone else. They're they know their specific science, which is what is the cellular structure of this virus and how does it work? And here's what we're studying. But then there, the rest of it is just opinion. But we kind of trust their opinion because they're scientists, but they're giving opinions about social policy when they don't know anything. Everybody's got their lane, but we broaden the lanes of these epidemiologists and virus experts and so on. So we don't really know anything. Like, despite all the protections, 15 million known cases have exist. And as to Roy's point, there's a lot of, there's probably another 15 to 20 million that started things off that we don't even know about. Plus there's probably millions more kids that don't have symptoms that we don't know about. So all of these precautions and something like 50 or 60 million people in the US have had this virus we don't know how to stop it. You know, masking up, nobody I know has gotten it on a plane. I've known people who've who've gotten it on ski mountains. I know people who've gotten it at weddings. But ski I also know, mountains? Yeah, at the beginning of the whole whole thing. I, I know people who've gotten it at, at, at weddings and, and other social events, but I also know I've been at a ton of things. I have not had it. 
And I think it's almost random. I don't even know how you get it. Wait, did you get tested each time? Yeah, I got tested uh, yesterday. Wait, no, but each time that you were off a plane, like you could have been. Or on a ski mountain. Been a little. I, I don't ski. <laughs> Jews don't ski. Okay. So, okay. Okay. But uh, I got tested yesterday before going on a plane, and and I've, I've never had it. But I'm also careful. But I'm not letting it. You know, I'm going to get together with my kids. I'm going to get together with parents, grandparents, that sort of thing. I'm not letting it. Now, when you say flying. Is this your? Because I know you have a private plane. I do. I do. I do both. Okay. Because so, I want to be clear. Is this a private plane? You can disinfect that. But if you go on a on a regular charter plane, Southwest, and Southwest. you see you see these motherfuckers standing in line, and you could tell how they've been. You behaving. on Spirit Air? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, <laughs> Tony Woods and I were in the Netherlands in March, and we came back. You know, on whatever air, Del- air Netherlands or whatever it was, and uh, you know, the virus was huge, but we didn't know it then, and nobody got sick. So Thank I don't God. think Tony got sick. All right, John. What about you for the holidays? I'm laying low. I would love to go see my mom in in Florida, but I'm too terrified. Even if I went, I would sit outside. She's got a pool. So I would sit outside in the pool area. I wouldn't go inside the house. But I mean, to be flagrantly honest, the planes don't scare me either. I'm kind of like James. You know, I hate when people say, hey, man, trust the science and trust the data. And there's no science. There's no data that that planes are super spreaders or, or getting people sick. So if we're going to trust the science and trust the data, then stay away from places where people are getting sick inside of bars and at these weddings and house parties. That's where the, the trouble has been. I mean, if, I if, still if, see if, O'Hare Airport in March with all those people waiting in the airport, not on the actual plane. And they were giving people a pin to share amongst each other to fill out the forms this is what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is we can all speculate or we can all feel creepy about someone passing a pen around and sitting on an airplane. What I'm saying is there is no data coming out of airports. And if, if well, it were, I've if done it, data. I could give you some data. If it were there, we would. <laughs> <laughs> I do data from my apartment. I'm like, I see the numbers in that because they weren't on the plane. That's my point. It's not the actual plane it's the commute to the plane right but i've just not heard that so i'm saying i i only go on if science is saying hey here is where these like say for example i'm here in brooklyn i run down eastern parkway and they were having the religious services with the jewish community over there because they were just like we're going to do these things anyway and they were having really bad outbreaks okay well then we shouldn't be in religious services but i've not heard that from airports or airplanes so if we're going to trust the science, then let's trust the science where this thing is really spreading and not just say, oh, I have a bad feeling about that. So airplanes must be bad. I, there's no evidence to bear that out. Here's my concern with that, John, is that there's a blurred line between science and commerce and the airline industry isn't going to allow public contact tracing to say that this airport, more motherfuckers get infected here or these infected people all travel through this hub, that hub, that hub, because then the paranoia becomes, oh, don't fly through Atlanta because motherfuckers got that shit or don't fly United because I heard a motherfucker on United test about like, remember when they used to say that flight attendants were testing positive in oh, the front yeah. half of the pandemic? You ain't heard none of that shit since. You ain't heard of a single motherfucking airport employee testing positive. Those motherfuckers at baggage claim, those motherfuckers at TSA. Coughing, like you can Google all the stories from the front half and of the people who died too. And you ain't yeah. heard nothing 
None of that shit since. Since like August or September, you ain't heard a single motherfucking airport related motherfucking shit with COVID other than it's cool. Come on out. <laughs> so, I'm just going to assume it's happening. And you're right. There's no data. But then I also have to roll the dice on. Is this bet worth potentially fucking up moms or fucking up the four year old or letting the four year old take the cough to school? So it's good, good or goodest. So everybody's betting blind. No, which is exactly why I'm, I've not seen my mom and why I'm not going down there. Is it worth the gamble? Absolutely not. But me being, if, if someone says, is there any evidence of it? At this point, I have to say no. Is it worth the gamble, Roy? That's a different question. Absolutely not. I'm not gambling with a motherfucking thing. And I don't trust none of these people with my mom. <laughs> now, if there was some money on the other end, my black ass get on the play. <laughs> <laughs> Would you go on a plane for to do a show at like the comedy store in LA? Uh, if the if the price is right, absolutely. But I, I I wouldn't gamble with my mother's health. But if there's money on the other end of it, yeah, there's no evidence. I've auditioned for shows that were shooting in Vancouver that was going to make you sit for two weeks when you got there before they would even let you come to set. So I'm clear. I'm like John. I'm still a motherfucking mercenary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they asked me to go to Montana. In January 8th to do a show for, I think it was like maybe six grand. I said no. Ooh. Marina, there's there's no cases in Montana. Oh, there will be. And <laughs> it's, a red, it's a red state. Let me tell you, I mean, let me I, tell you something. There's natural social distancing, though. It's so rural. Yo, Marina, let me tell you something. I'd have, been on, the, I'd have been on that plane. So, yeah, not my mom, no, I, but I think, six grand in Montana. Hello, Montana. I thought there were cases, though. I thought the numbers were definitely red. I looked it up, actually, and that's why I was like, hell no. Red state, red anything. I ain't going. Let me ask you that. Have any of you changed your views about where you want to perform according to your politics? Uh, no. You know why? Because in places like Cincinnati or Phoenix, Arizona, you could joke about more things. In New York City, it's like you could only joke about half the things. <laughs> So I don't, I don't have any politics like as far on the stage and you want to be able to joke about anything. I would say it didn't change mine because pre-COVID, I didn't want to go to them bum ass cities anyway. So <laughs> I'm in the same place I was uh, before all this shit broke out. If people still want to come out and hear me run my mouth. I don't give a fuck where you at. I'll pull up. And the only thing that changes is the order of the jokes. If I'm down in Florida, I want to do this. This gun control joke, then I probably need to do something with college football first to trick you motherfuckers into thinking I'm like you. <laughs> That's good advice. But if you want some if you want some courageous shit, you come with it out the gate. <laughs> you know, it just depends on how bad what type of fight do you want to fight tonight? Roy, can I ask what's your like litmus test where you establish where the audience is? Food relationships and sports, those are kind of the unifiers. But but how do you push the third rail to see where it is? Oh, oh, the, that's race. That's that's a hundred percent just a quick race joke. You know, it's like I used to have a bit about the Confederate flag and how it's good that the Confederate flag is still out because it lets me know who not to talk to. <laughs> and then just off of that, you can just look up real quick and see who chuckled at that. And then you know, okay, how hard can you really go into all of this race shit tonight? You just, you know what kind of fight it's going to be. You're getting these fucking jokes regardless. But now I got to fucking- This is so you see, the Confederate, I did a Civil War reenactment. <laughs> I was on the wrong side. Look at that. <laughs> I didn't know what- 
look at that sad face. Oh, God. Is that an underground railroad station behind you? or? Well, that is what you call, that's a shebang, to be accurate. A shebang tent is not like a, a big tent. It's just like smaller. It's where you do a lot of spooning. But anyway, I do want to get out. You guys, this was fun for Christmas, just so no one asked me what I'm doing. What you doing? Marina, what are you doing? Well, since it's my birthday and... I've been kind of like Thanksgiving. I didn't do anything. I was by myself. I was like, I'm not risking. I'm, you know, crazy. But for my birthday, I will risk everything. So I'm going to Airbnb in the Hamptons with a friend who gets tested regularly. And I'm just going to chill there for Christmas. Yeah, go maybe do some bike riding in the cold. Who knows? I'll jump in the water. I don't at this point for Christmas. I'll you know, I did so good all this time and I'm just going to ruin it for my birthday. Yo, I want a bike so bad, man. And I just literally I haven't shopped for a bike ever. I have someone for you. Like you every bike I've ever owned was some Craigslist $70 mountain bike shit. And like the bike shit is so fucking overwhelming now. I have it's a friend so who can help you. Like, I'll text you. I just want a regular fucking bike, though. I don't want some contoured seat Peloton ass 23 speed. I just want a regular. Here, I'll show you my bike bike over here. Messenger ass bike. Just a Birmingham ass bike. You see that? Oh, look at that. Mm. Yeah, just that. I don't give a fuck about the carbon frame versus a graphite fucking... Like, I started Googling the shit and got overwhelmed. I was like, I'll fuck with this after Christmas when the prices drop. Well, as a gift, I'll send you my friend. And that's exactly... I've been kind of ahead of everything. I'm really proud of myself. I should be running a country. But the thing is, is I knew the bike situation was going to get intense. And so right in like, I think it was May... And that was a little late and I knew it. I called my friend. I said, let's get a bike. You help me out. He just sends me the links and then they they mailed it to him and he put it together for me. Wow. See, I'm not finna put no bike together, man. <laughs> no, no, no. He'll put, it to, he'll put it together for you. That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. Yeah. They, I have enough shit to deal with on a daily basis. <laughs> so I know you I have can. to. I'm a man. I can fucking run. No, he'll do. He'll do the whole thing. He'll find a bike for you. He'll put it together. You know the whole thing. He loves comedy. He used to come to the cellar all the time. So, all right. So we're gonna get out. Um, Roy, where can our listeners find you? And my uh, name is Roy Wood Jr. Google me. That's enough. Put an at sign in front. Put a dot com behind it. Uh, with friends like these, we don't need vaccines. <laughs> ah, I love it. James? Well, you can always find me on the two episodes I've been on Friends Like Us. Aww. Best podcast. So, James Altucher, find me on Friends Like Us. That was your Friends Like Us? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> John? Uh, yo, you can find me at He Was Funny. I put it down there in one of these corners. So hit me there. And with friends like uh, us, I wish there were 24-hour podcasts. Oh, I love it. Marina Franklin. Go to my website, marinafranklin.com. And uh, you know what? Thanks to James. We're still kicking and going because he gave me Jay Yao, who is doing an amazing job with us. So thank you, James. And um, also we have merch. We have T-shirts, face masks. We have coffee cups. And with friends like us, you can be the only female on a show and and be heard because it's the friends like us podcast and that's how 
That's how I do it. Guys, we did not do our job properly here. <laughs> In the lead. I'm ashamed of us. Check us Thank you, guys. Thank you, James. It's so good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. It's nice yes. meeting you guys. And uh, uh, let's do this again soon. Yes. Friends like us. Friends like us. All right, bye. See you guys later. Bye.